Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to, and not in place, of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. Oh, all right, all right. Well, morning, morning, Springs Church. Well, what a joy to have all the graduates up here this morning, get an opportunity to pray over them. That was an incredible blessing. But I'm blessed to announce two things this morning. Number one, I'm not speaking which is a blessing to me, trust me. I got a whole weekend with my family. I got to hang out with my kiddos, got to watch my kids at their soccer matches. Each one of them got a hat trick, so three goals each. So that was a blessing, little Max and Landon. So I've had a blessed weekend together. I got a little time off, some refreshing, which is a joy. But we do have a wonderful guest speaker today, and many of you know this incredible couple, Joe and Annalise Couch. Yes, 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 yes. Founders, leaders, directors of the Rev 5 Leadership School here in town, which is kind of a transitional school for those of the college-something age that are coming out of high school or just in that college time and trying to get a good foundation with the Lord so they could be real kingdom shakers for God. Uh, They're taught who they really are in Christ. They're taught to love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I've always been blessed hanging out with this couple. They're good, good family friends for Beth and I. In fact, Beth, was actually in an internship where Joe was the director of 24-7. So that's how I actually got to know him. And I shared this in the first service, but I'll embarrass you again. I said, the first time that I met this guy, I started dating Beth and I met Joe. The first thing I thought is something's gotta be off with this guy because he's constantly hugging me. He's giving me hugs all the time, which I didn't know was part of the Colorado culture because where I come from, we don't give hugs. And it got so bad that I was like trying to work up every time I'd see Joe, I was thinking like, okay, I gotta give him a hug. And I get myself all set up to do it and I'd be ready to do it and I'd kind of wrap my arms around him and said okay brother here's a you know we got to say brother brother here's a hug and then I remember he'll be like well that hug wasn't good enough right how many times have you done that to me I said come on man I did it I finally did it I gave you a hug and then he grabbed me again and said you got to give me a better hug so so I have learned to be a hugger I'm learning that as I'm growing here in Colorado so that's been a blessing like I shared with the first service we don't normally do that in the east coast and in our churches we say just get out of the way I'm getting to my seat move move so, but I'm learning as I'm here, but he's been such a wonderful blessing to myself. Annalise has been such a blessing to our family and to Beth and me, but can we give them a big round of applause? And as Joe, would you just come up and you lead us in the word this morning? I said in the first service, it's a long way up to get up those stairs and up to this stage. <laughs> get out of my way. No, you didn't. <laughs> I like this guy. Oh my gosh. Michael gives me a hard time about a lot of stuff. I, I, tried, to, I tried to get him into hunting, you know, because I enjoy archery hunting and that went well. Um, <laughs> he would say stuff like, why, why, would you, why would you go running around in the woods for, you know, like days on end looking for an animal when you could just walk right into the store and buy the meat off the shelf? And I started thinking, I was like, you know, hanging out with Mike a little bit. I'm like, man, I, I've watched you build a motorcycle for a year and a half and you got that part from Maine and that part from you know, the East Coast and that part from the West Coast and that part. I'm like, dude, why don't you just walk around in the Harley shop and just buy one right off the floor? Just, 
Brothers from a different mother, thank the Lord. (laughs) All right. Good morning. So good to be with you guys. Love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. Love this house. Love you, Michael and Beth. You guys are absolute gifts to us. Um, Over the last uh, handful of years, four years or so, this place has become uh, much more than just church. It's become family to us. Um, Some of our greatest relationships uh, in the world attend here. And so we absolutely love it. It's a total gift. It's really amazing to actually want to go to church. If any of you have ever been in those seasons where you, you go because it's a duty, um, and you kind of, you, you get to that, that window of time, but when you wake up and you're like, it's Sunday, we're going to church today, it's church day. Uh, it's an absolute gift. And I can say without any shadow of a doubt, that's how we feel about Springs Church. Isn't it amazing to be a part of this body? That's incredible. Yeah. I, uh, we had the privilege of baptizing three, our three eldest girls uh, on Easter Sunday morning over here. And uh, yeah, that was amazing. That was absolutely incredible. I think outside of maybe walking them down the aisle one day, uh, it's probably one of my proudest moments as a dad to get to climb into the water, uh, push John out of the way just a little bit and get to climb in the water with him and to baptize him. So it had been a conversation for about a year, uh, but there was a lot of fear about getting up in front of people. And so kind of our family agreement is when the love of Jesus gets bigger than the fear of crowds, it'll be time for you to get baptized. And so we, we made that cut barely on Saturday night and uh, brought all the stuff on Sunday morning, but that was amazing. So we are, we are thoroughly enjoying family. We are uh, now at 10, 8, 6, 5, and 2 and a half or so, something like that, with, with the four girls and Jack. And I say it all the time, but um, our, 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 the, the ministry that we run, Rev 5, uh, it's, a, it's a 7 or an 8. It's a lot of fun. There's some good days and bad days, but it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. Uh, but far beyond that, I can say that our, our family is a 9 or a 10. It's absolutely amazing. We, we love our family. You have good days, you have hard days, um, but uh, our family is, is really where it's at. In fact, I've heard it said many times that to, to ever navigate from family is to navigate from kingdom. The closer you stay to family, the closer you stay to kingdom. And so um, even though this last year, the Lord has drawn my attention and heart back into saying, this is your first ministry. This is where I want you foremost making the greatest deposits. Your best strength goes right here. And everything else is an overflow of that. So speaking of family, uh, we had uh, a night a number of months ago. Um, Annalise and I were kind of in that exhausted space. It's the end of the day. The kids are running around. They're just going wild. They're, they're kind of chasing each other. In fact, it was actually Jack uh, who had a knife, and he was chasing his four older sisters. So, hey, don't you judge me. I hear you. I hear you. When, when you have five kids, it's just, it's not that you don't love them. You just don't care anymore. I mean, they just, you know. <laughs> And so he's, it's a plastic knife, but he's got his knife and, he, and he's chasing it and they love it. They love it. They're screaming and they're running around the middle of the house and Jack's just running, just chasing him with his knife and he's going everywhere. And, and so we're watching him just kind of exhausted on the couch there end of the day, letting them get their last burst of energy before going to bed. And Jack runs over to Annalise and I and he stops and he gets a serious look on his face and he holds up his knife and he goes, let my people go. <laughs> I was like, Babe, I think he's serious. Like, I, like I, I don't know what kind of plagues a two-year-old produces, but the flying diapers or something, but I, I, I just, I don't want that. So we let his people go to bed because it was already late. And so um, anyways, we are, we, are, we are loving family. We are thoroughly enjoying it. Um, it's an absolute gift. But uh, when, I, when, I, when I thought about that story and about Jack, 
Um, and I was thinking about Sunday morning. I'm like, wow, it's, it's interesting to me that for most of us in the Christian faith, uh, when you think about what's the kind of the, the, the beginning, the first place that we identify with in our Christianity. And if you had to go to a space, probably most of us live out of this place of the exodus. And what I mean by that is, is there's a, when, when we're talking about the gospel, when we're talking about what Jesus has done and who he is and, and the Christian faith, most of us will go to this space of like, hey, Jesus delivers, he frees, he heals, he leads you out of bondage, he, he, he takes you out of all the stuff that you couldn't get out of and he sets you free. And it's like, yes, that's totally awesome. And there's kind of this beginning of the narrative or the origin, if you will, that we feel really comfortable and we celebrate. But when you kind of go, then what? People are like, well, you just, you know, you go on a mission trip. Oh, great. So then we go on a mission trip. You take a mission trip and you're like, then what? Maybe you should teach a Sunday school class. Or maybe, you should, maybe you should be involved with a local ministry. Or you're like, then what? And oftentimes we have a clear origin. This is what he does and sets you free, but there's not a clear end game in mind. There's not a clear final place that we're grabbing a hold of that's tethering us to the destination of our faith. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning is what I'm going to call the end game. And, and what I'm saying is that when all the wars have ceased, when all the people that are going to be saved are saved, when Jesus has returned, when he's put his feet on the planet and justice has been fully enacted, then what? What's the end game of the Christian journey? For many of us, I think if you, were, if you could imagine standing on the side of a cliff or something like that, and you're holding on on this side, and you've you, you got this, this idea of origin, this exodus, the, the, the kind of the beginnings of the Christian faith, we're, we're holding on like this, but we're kind of just dangling in culture and in time because we don't have this other piece that we're holding on to. But when we begin to get the end game, what is the ultimate goal? When everything's been said and done, what's the final statement? What is the culmination of the Christian journey? When we get the destination, and we grab a hold of that, it creates a moral impetus for us to stand. Now, it's clear in Scripture that without vision, the people perish. And when there's not a clear end game, a final trajectory, the, 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 the last, where is this all heading to? When that's not clear, we grow weary. We begin to grow weary. And friends, you and I have just been through a, a space of a last number of years uh, John Eldridge referred to it as an entire culture is in PTSD right now. We look like trauma survivors. And we don't know what's coming, but something else is coming. The next crisis, the next social upheaval, the whatever, I mean, it, in the book, it's coming. Okay, so what's between then and now? We don't know, but something else is coming. And if we're not firmly anchored in this destination, this vision of the ultimate end of Christianity, if we're not firmly anchored in that, your and my love can grow cold. Matthew 24 says, it says, because of wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. For some, the sheer advancement of evil will cause their love to grow cold. And I don't know if you felt that, but over the past few years, I felt myself in this cycle where I just get so invested in what's happening and the challenges and the struggles. And I, I find myself where my heart is more filled with anger and frustration than with just pure unadulterated love. And I have to come back over and over and over and over again and re-anchor myself in the end game of Christian faith. And go, Father, this is the end game. And when I, when I can remind myself and get back to that, then I take my stand again. Then I take my stand and I love right and I hate right. And I serve and I dial back in 
and there's moral impetus to make decisions in the generation that we're standing in. So over the next few minutes that I have with you, I want to talk to you about the end game of Christianity. I think sometimes, I, I, just a, a picture, I was thinking about like pilots that, that go off to war and they're, they're flying, you often see it in movies, and they'll, they'll take a picture of maybe their beloved or something like that and stick it right there on the dashboard so that they can remind themselves, as I'm heading into the fray, I may not even come back, but as I'm heading out into the fray, I have to remember that this is why it's all worth it. The sacrifice, the training, the pain, all the stuff is worth it because of this. And so today I'm going to try to put that picture up there in front of you and go, listen, this is the end game. I'm going to try to provoke you to hunger for the end game of Christianity. In fact, Father, I just ask for your grace, Lord Jesus, in these next few minutes. Father, I, I thank you for the word. I thank you for the, But I realize that none of it means anything without you speaking to hearts. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would open our minds, our spirits. God, that we would not be taught of a man. We would be taught by the Spirit of God. And so, Father, we welcome you and we release you. We just say yes. You do whatever you want to do. But would you speak to our spirits through your spirit in the name of Jesus? If you go back to kind of the beginning of the, of the Christian journey, really we could say it starts with Abraham. That's where the covenant begins. And the Lord says some pretty profound things to Abraham uh, early in his journey. And I want to draw your attention to a couple passages that complement each other. The first one is in Genesis 12. It's 12, 2 through 3. So you can go there with me. It says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and never curses you. I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So that's a pretty good day. If you wake up or you have a vision and God goes, listen, I'm going to bless the entire planet through you. I'm going to give you so much stuff that it overflows out of you into your family, into your community, uh, into your state, into your nation. The entire planet is going to be blessed through you. So we know the ultimate end of that is speaking about Jesus, but it's clear that there is a blessing tied to this. And so he goes, listen, Abraham, translation, I'm going to give you a bunch of stuff. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of stuff, and you're going to be a blessing to a lot of people. If you fast forward just a couple chapters there to Genesis 15 and 15.1, it says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. He's going, listen, Abraham, I, I want you to get something. I'm going to bless you so ridiculously much that's going to overflow out of your life and the lives of people around you. And ultimately, the entire planet is going to be engulfed in this blessing. But listen to me. I want you to always remember and never forget that I am your reward. Abraham, I am your end game. I've got stuff I want to do in you and through you, and I'm going to bless you ridiculously. But always remember and never forget, my presence is your reward. I am your very great reward. As you kind of follow through, the, the family of Abraham obviously becomes the, the Israelites, and it brings us up to the Exodus as they're, as they're coming out. And Moses has these exchanges with Pharaoh, and he's talking to him about letting his people go and what they're going to do. And it's interesting to me because the end game of the Exodus was not the promised land. There's conversation about the promised land, but if you go back to the beginning of, of, of those interactions, he doesn't say, Pharaoh, let my people go because we got a promised land out waiting out there, baby, and we need to get on the move. He goes, he goes, Pharaoh, listen, I want you to let my people go because they have to meet with God. 
Because the reason for their deliverance is that they need to meet with the living God. Yeah, I'm going to walk them out of bondage. But the reason I want to get them out of there is to meet with God. We want to take a three-day journey into the desert to meet with God. And so obviously, you know the story, the plagues, everything that happens, they go through this almost kind of this baptism experience. They come to the Red Sea and all of their enemies, all the oppression, all the drugs, all the stuff, all the, everything that was, was binding them is suddenly vanquished. And now they're really, totally, truly, wholly free. They, they, got, they, they were absolutely delivered. And so they make their way in the desert to meet with God and they, and they come to Mount Sinai. And this is, this is very interesting to me. But they come to Mount Sinai and God is there and his presence descends and his glory descends. And it comes down on Mount Sinai. And the people go, whoa, hold on a second. You're terrifying. Like, you're scary. Like, you're, I, maybe you're not who we thought you were. We're not really comfortable with you like this. And so actually, Moses, if you would do the talking to God, you go meet with God and you interact with God and we'll be over here. And when you're done, you come back over here and we'll just kind of live on secondhand morsels of his presence. But that firsthand engagement is too much for us. I think it's one of the greatest travesties of scripture and sometimes of Christian life. The entire point of the freedom and deliverance is to bring them out to meet with and encounter God. And when they get out there, he's different, he's other, there's a wrong view and they're terrified and they go, we're content to live at a distance. Moses, you do the interaction. You be the professional. You get in the presence of God. You go meet face to face. You go encounter him and we'll just kind of live on secondhand pieces of information about who God is. Friends, sometimes I think that we as Christians sound very similar to this dynamic. Because while they're out there, as the story unfolds, you hear them and they start complaining about like, oh, we want meat to eat. And oh, it was better in Egypt. And listen, listen, Moses, if you could hurry up and get us to the promised land, one rebellion, another rebellion, Korah's rebellion, one after another, they're popping up. Moses, I don't know who you think you are, but like, let's get to the promised land. Appreciate all this stuff you're doing with God. But like, we want the promised land. We want to be filled. We want milk and honey, baby. That's why we got out of this thing. And as you watch the story unfold, you start to feel the pain of God. He goes, I brought you out here so that I would be your God and you would be my people. He goes, that's my end game with you. I'm like, no, we want bread. We want meat, Moses. Friends, sometimes I think in Christianity, we sound about heaven like the Israelites sound about the promised land. Sometimes in Christianity, we sound like this. Man, don't you want to go? There's streets of gold. Man, all of our enemies are vanquished. It's totally awesome. It's really cool. There's a glassy sea and like crazy creatures and the lion and the lamb. And it's, it's really, it's this amazing place. You're going to love heaven. Heaven is so cool. Heaven, heaven, heaven. Would you want to go to heaven if Jesus wasn't there? I mean, honestly. If there was perpetual pain and crisis on the surface of the planet, but he came here, would you stay? 
If he led you down into the depths of grave and Sheol and hell itself, would you follow him? Is he your end game? We watch the pattern continues. You fast forward maybe 1,500 years and you, you get to Jesus and it looks very similar. 40 years in the desert, testing, meeting with God, go through the baptism experience, 40 days in the desert, testing, meeting with God. And then he comes back out through this baptism experience and all of a sudden he's doing miracles and he's healing people and he's raising the dead, cleansing the leper. He's preaching, he's multiplying food. And as you watch him move through that three and a half years, you start to see people go, hey, make some more food. Hey, would you heal this guy, please? We'd actually like to see a healing. We thought that was really cool. Hey, your, your promised land stuff, we like that. Like, we're really into the stuff that you can do. It's really cool. Like, we like the promised land. Whoa, eat your flesh, drink your blood. Like, hold on. Like, we're not okay with you. We want what you can do, but it's not you that we want. And you kind of watch Jesus, and he's just going, no, actually. No, I won't perform for you. All you want is to fill your bellies. All you want is a change of pace. All you want to do is get out from underneath the oppression, but you don't want me. I want to take a minute and look at another passage with you that we often refer to as the, as the parable of the talents, and that's appropriate, but we talk about our fiscal responsibility and what it means to have good stewardship and to take care of things that are entrusted to us. But I want to look at it in maybe a little bit different light this morning with you. Because if you look at the flow of conversation, kind of where it's situated, it's actually, if I can say this, it's in the middle of the end game. It's about the imminent return of Jesus. Return of Jesus, return of Jesus. And it's not really finances and stewardship. That's, 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 you can apply it, but it's the flow of conversation, the thought takes place right in the middle of the return of the king. And so I want to look at this for just a second and, and draw attention to a couple things in here, but let's read this. You can turn with me to Matthew 25, verse 14. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Say, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received the five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Verse 22, the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man who received the one bag of gold came and his master, he said, I knew you were a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. 
Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that wicked, lazy servant, sorry, old, old NIV, that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be wicked, excuse me, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want to draw your attention to just a couple things in this parable that Jesus is telling. Uh, clearly, he is the master. Clearly, he is leaving for a time for his coronation, and then he will be back to the planet. In the meantime, he has apportioned certain gifts or talents to his servants, those that call on his name, and there's going to be an accounting when he returns. I want you to notice a couple things. Number one, there's a big difference between accounting, giving an account for your ability and a reward. Okay, and the account for your ability when you have done well, there's a promotion, there's an increase. We often say higher level, bigger devil. What does it mean? It just means there's a larger problem. There's a, there's, a, there's a larger space that you have to manage. Okay, so an account for your ability is one thing, but the reward is an entirely separate thing. And so as you look at this, you have to ask yourself a couple questions. Number one, who gave the servants their ability? Who gave them their ability? The master, God did. God gave them their ability, okay? So none of them chose their ability. They didn't choose one or two or five. Nobody chose the ability, the capacity of the individual. God gave them the ability, okay? So now the talents, the gold, whatever it is, the stuff he's entrusted, whose stuff is it? It's God's. It's God's. None of it's yours. None of it's mine. Only God creates ex nihilo. Only God creates out of nothing. Everything that you or I touch is part of the created order, we can talk about amassing wealth. We can talk about uh, building things. We can talk about any number of, of things that we could create, but all of them are from previously created stuff that's his. So the ability is not ours. Sometimes I think there's so much jealousy in the body of Christ. It's like, man, is there not 8 billion people on the planet? Can we not fight for the same one? Who cares whether you're a one or a two or a five? People that I know that are what I would consider fives wish they were ones because they know there's an accounting. And so neither the ability nor the talent are ours. But watch what happens. He goes, now, listen, I got a deal here for you. I'm going to give you an ability that's not yours. I'm going to give you talent that's not yours. And then when you go do something commensurate to that ability, you come back and you're going to give an account for that ability. But then I'm going to give you a reward, my presence. He goes, come and share in your master's happiness. He goes, what's your reward? He goes, I'm your reward, Abraham. I'm your reward. Not the promised land. He goes, I'm your reward. So when you do something with what I give you, what I want to give you is me. Okay, think about this. Every religion on the planet is trying to find a way back to God. However they determine or call God, don't care if it's Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Hare Krishna, whatever it is. They're all trying to find their way back to God. So we, we, we do whatever disciplines, we do whatever things we have to do to get God. And we're all working, we're trying to perform, we're trying to get God. And God goes, boy, have I got a deal for you. I created a planet, I gave each of my servants a call on the ability, and then I give them talents, more stuff that's not theirs, and when they do something with it according to their ability, they come back to me and I give them me. Because I actually wanna give you my presence. I mean, do you get the logic? The deck is stacked. He's calibrated everything to produce a return back to him. 
Like friends, for a lot of years, I was stuck, stuck in this kind of this performance thing of I got to perform, I got I to gotta make a splash, I got to make a big, I got to look over my left and right to see who else is performing and whether or not it's going to be intimidating to me and I got to perform, I got to do it, I got I to then come back and like, oh, I hope I did it right for Jesus. Versus going, listen, I don't care if I'm a one, a two, or a five, you put it in my hands, I do something with it according to that ability, and you give me you. You're the reward. Like, that's insanity. That's incredible. So you want to give me your presence. The entire thing is stacked so that you can give me more of your presence. Did I get that straight? Because I, I think I missed that. So you mean that when I come back from succeeding on my last assignment, and I come back and I go, here you go, did a good job. You give me more of what's not mine so that I can come running back and you can give me more of you. That's your game. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. His heart is like, I want you to have my presence. I want you to experience to long, to hunger for me. I'm trying to use everything in your life to give you me. I'm preaching better than you're clapping in here, people. Here's, here's what I think is, 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 is kind of funny about this. Is that most religions, the afterlife that they offer is really a quantification or in some ways a repeat or an exaggeration of what you can get here. I'm just going to give you something to fill you. I mean, hey, wow, man, great job. Afterlife, all right, here's not just a piece of land. Here's a planet. Isn't that wonderful? Here's a bunch of land. Oh, some sensory pleasures? Did you enjoy those? Let me just give you 40 of them. Here's 40 virgins on this other piece of planet over here that's now yours. Okay. I've seen some castles. I've seen some great stuff. Oh, fantastic. Boy, we are going to give you this awesome, like really beautiful structure for you to live in. You are going to love it. It's going to be awesome. Now, I don't know about you, but, but for me, that's disturbing. Every major religion offers more of what already hasn't satisfied, thinking the more that wasn't enough will be the final reward for your labor. But hear me, friends, so often that's the same tone that creeps into the Christian journey. And we want the promised land, and we want the healing, and we want the bills paid, and we want the provision, and we would never say this, but somewhere, the end game, the person and presence of Jesus, somewhere that kind of fades to the peripheral and we're busy getting stuff. Give me meat, give me healing, give me this. I need your presence, I need your better. I need this because I got a service coming up, so I need you to move, I need you to. Longer I live, the more I'm convinced that there's only two kinds of people. Those that love Cheez-Its and those that do not. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but boy, I have, a, I have a ravenous appetite sometimes. And I get hungry. And I know that inside of this box, there's these delectable little treats. And they're small, so you can eat a bunch of them and you don't feel bad. Just keep eating them one at a time. It's amazing. And they're dipped in this like, cheese sauce, something kind of baked to utter perfection. It's cheesy. Oh, so good. So good. Hmm. 
Actually, it's a little bit like dried out cardboard. Slightly moist. Sometimes they're not always crunchy. The cheese actually tastes kind of cheap. Like this ain't Velveeta. There's you know, something going on here. This is some pretty rough cheese. But I'm hungry, so I think what I should do is have another cheese out. Yeah, this is, this is not very good. It's kind of dry. It's just, in fact, this is disgusting. This is... Wow. Clearly, if it wasn't satisfying over there, then clearly what I need is more of what wasn't satisfying for my labor. Amen? Friends, I know the only thing you're going to remember about Sunday sermon is cheese. It's, I know. <laughs> I know that sounds totally ridiculous and it's ludicrous to even say it, but the reality is so many people, so many people, their Christian journey looks like this. And we're, we're grasping for, oh, I've been in this faith thing and I've been churning, I've been running, but man, I just need a healing. If I just had a healing, I'd be satisfied. Man, I just need a financial breakthrough. If I could just get my financial breakthrough. Man, if that relationship would just turn and come back, everything would be okay. I just need more of the not end game. I just need more of something that doesn't satisfy. In our house, we buy a lot of paper. I know some of you guys are out there to save the trees and do all that part of the green movement. Bless you. We kill trees for fun. We just, we, tons and tons of, we buy reams of paper like they're going out of business. We have stacks like that. I've got a, I've got a thing in my office. It's like where the kids bring all their little things that they make me. And it's like that huge, just pinned right at their eye level when they walk into my office. It's, it was, that was from yesterday. It's like, it's like massive. They, they make a lot of stuff. And so Annalise buys all these reams of paper and they come in and we'll give them paper. And the, the paper that I give them is a relatively not demand on my resource. But it's, you know, it's paper. It's my paper. It's my stuff. And I'll give them my stuff and I'll go, here, go make something with this. Go make something beautiful. Go, go make something wonderful. And so they'll run off and they'll go get busy and they'll go start making things. Mariah will come back. Wow, what a drawing, babe. That's amazing. You're, you're incredible. I love the way your lines, it just, that's so, babe, wow. I am so proud of you. Like, that's really good. Like, you're getting so good at drawing. Macy comes running in, second born. Macy, those colors, the way you blended those colors together. Wow, you are so good. Daddy's so proud of you. I mean, wow, the palette looks absolutely incredible. That is so good. Lucy, wow, the 3D stuff. You made a 3D house out of paper. Babe, that is so amazing. I am so proud of you. Wow, Daddy's proud of you. Jack, hey, Jack, did you want that piece of paper up all by yourself? <laughs> wow, Jack, that's a good ball. Let's see if it throws. 
Let's see if it flies well. Not mommy. Let's see. If, let's just, wow. Jack, I'm proud of you. Daddy loves you. Hey, hey, you guys, you're amazing. Look, I've got some more paper. Here, why don't you go make some more stuff? And they go running off and they create more things. Makes no difference to me. It's not a demand on me. But I give them things because I know that in a few short hours, they're going to come running back and they're going to be going, Daddy, look! And I know that what they're really after is the affection and the adoration and the, well done, Macy. I'm so happy with you. You know what I think is really going on? God's leaning over the balcony and he's going, Johnny, what a great business. I'm so proud of you. Wow, you fed all those people. You employed all those people. You made provisions for all kinds of things to happen. Johnny, I am so proud of you. I love you. Michael, oh, the church. people. I've watched people come in every day and the, and the parking lot's full and they're, they're getting ministered to and they're encountering my presence. Michael, I'm so proud of you. Wow, Dave, the way you led in business, it was just awesome, the risk that you took and, and, and the way that you nurtured and cared for people and you, you, you sacrificed even when you were paying them. Like, I'm so proud of you, the way you started that business. Jim, that, that office that you ran for, when you ran for political office, you were scared, but you stepped up and you did it. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. Jim, good job, way to go. Joe, Joe. Did you ball that paper up all by yourself? <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. And all I really wanted to hear was that. I know the ability's not mine. I know the talents aren't mine. I know none of it matters. But oh, when you tell me that you're proud and that you love me and that I'm yours. I realize again that I don't have anything in the heaven, earth below. That I possess nothing but your presence. Whom have I in heaven above or earth below? Nothing but you. Oh God, that I would ascend the hill. Oh God, that I would stand in your presence. Father, this one thing that I ask, that I may gaze upon your beauty. I want to stand in your temple. Father, I just, I'll do whatever. Flying airplanes, plunging toilets. I... United States, I don't care, Father. I just, I just need to hear you say you love me and you're pleased with me because you are my reward. You are my end game. You are my all. Father, at the end of the day, what I need is to hear you say you love me and that you're pleased with me. There's, there's all these pictures all throughout the scriptures where you see this stuff happen. How, how does it happen? How does it happen? How do you start to, to yearn, to hunger? You go home. We, we call it suck rug. You can see it. You go home. You go, Jesus, I'm here. Some guy, mostly blonde, was yelling at me. And he was saying, I need to get along with you. I need to get your heart. And so I'm here. And uh, just want you to know I'm committed. And uh, great to talk with you here. Doesn't seem like you're saying much. But um, I'm glad to be here. And uh, hey, I'll, I'll be back tomorrow. Hey, Jesus, it's me. Um, I'm back. Uh, I'm here again. And um, 
I, I read something in Psalms about your presence and loving your presence and uh, something about getting down on your face before the Lord. So I'm down on my face before you again. And uh, I know this is a little awkward and weird, but I, I told you guys I'm going to come back. And so I'm coming back and I'm here and, and I want your presence. I, I want you. And this is awkward, but I'll see you tomorrow. Hey, Father, I'm back. Um, man, I read this other passage and it stirred my heart and it moved me. And I, and I just want to tell you that I'm thankful. I'm, I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for your presence. I thank you for the way that you love me. I don't get all this. There's a lot I don't know and I'm learning, but, but I, I just want to say that I, I like you. I'm, I'm grateful to be yours. I, I'll see you tomorrow. I'm coming back. Oh, God, I'm so grateful to be back here with you. Jesus, I just love your presence. I just, I'm, I'm, I don't even understand how this is happening, but there's something inside of my heart that's awakening. And I'm finding all the stuff that you do, but it's all a reflection of you. And my heart is starting to want you like it hasn't wanted you before, God. And I don't even understand, but Jesus, I just, I want you to know that I'm yours. I want you to know that I read Psalms 73, 25, and 26, and I get that I have nothing on heaven or earth below or under the earth but you and your presence. And I just want you to know, Jesus, that, that I'm yours and I want to serve you. Darn, time's up. Jesus, I got to go. Get out the way. I've got an appointment to keep. Jesus, God, I love your presence. Father, I want to stand in your holy temple. I want to gaze upon your face. God, I want to grab a hold of your beauty. Father, I want to know you. I want to know your heart. I want to know your heart for the nations. I want to know your heart for people. Father, the only thing I can't live without is your presence. I don't care where you send me. I don't care what assignment you have for my life. I have to have your presence. Father, it's just, it's awakening. I'm, I'm seeing it all throughout scripture. God, I saw how Moses wasn't concerned about the promise and what he wanted was you. God, he wanted you. He wanted your presence. Father, I read this crazy thing and in Revelation, and I'm watching these elders, and they're standing there, and, and they're, 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 all of the, the culmination of existence is there, and they're looking up in the middle of the entire realm of heaven is the Lamb of God, and he's standing there, and every time these four living creatures start giving thanks, they just go, whoa, and then they're down on their knees like this, and Father, I'm starting to feel that, and they're going, did you see that? Did you see? I was looking at God. I was in his presence, and then, wow, you go, Whoa! Oh my gosh, have you? This is amazing. I just saw God. I'm standing in his presence, my ultimate reward, my end game. How long have we been here? I don't know, like three billion years. It feels like we're just getting started. Whoa! Like, oh God, I just, I see that and I'm tasting that and I'm beginning to yearn. I'm beginning to long to long. The hunger is awakening in my heart. And Father God, I don't know how many days I have. I don't need to have many, but they need to be full of your presence. Jesus, I yearn for you. I long for you. God, would you continue to increase the ache and the pain and the hunger in my heart? You are my end game. You are my all, and I must have your presence. It's the only thing that I cannot live without. I'm coming back tomorrow. And your heart begins to fall in love. And the passion is awakened. And you're like, yeah, promised land. With the healing or without the healing. With the breakthrough or without the breakthrough. The only thing left unbearable on the planet that I cannot do without is your presence, Jesus. You are my end game. You are my everything. 
close your eyes with me just for a second. I just, I just want you to think. I want you to listen in your heart. If the Spirit of Jesus could lean over heaven's balcony and whisper to your heart, and he could ask you three questions, how would your heart respond to these questions? Do you know me? Do you love me? Am I your end game? When every war has ceased, when everything has been made new, am I your all? Father, my prayer over this body, God, my heart cry over your church is that we would long for you and your presence. God, every Eden, every promised land, every beautiful thing is just a byproduct of you being there. But Father, we ask grace to reach out and grab a hold of this in-game destination that is your presence. Father, we want to want to long to long to yearn to yearn just for you to linger in your presence, to be fascinated with your beauty, to ascend the hill, to gaze upon you. And Father, we ask you for the grace and the strength by your spirit to hold on that we would stand well in this generation. John 14, 20, he says, on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Friends, the end game of our journey is perfect, unadulterated, pure, inseparable oneness with Jesus. The reason we hold on is that there will be a day when we will be perfectly made one, indistinguishable, one with Jesus. Our end game is his presence. So Father, we thank you again. Would you give us grace to grab a hold? In your mighty name, everybody said, amen, amen. Amen, amen. Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.